Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to the 340th episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Kyle Barton, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Sean Wisniewski and Mark Hicks. Tonight, we're visiting with Anthony Moraes, a corporate chef, woodworker, and former police detective. So welcome to the show, Anthony. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, not at all. Well, you have a fascinating background. I can't wait to explore. But uh, before we get into that, that, uh, let's talk about what's going on in the woodworking news. First up, we would like to thank our new patrons. And if you'd like to support the uh, podcast, please visit us at patreon.com slash MWA podcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash MWA podcast. Woodworkers has a new indestructible woodworking square. Have indestructible, you, seen? you say? Well, I put that in quotes. But uh, anyway, apparently it's made out of some space age um, ballistic material. Um, it says a glass fiber reinforced composite material. And uh, they say think ballistic panel. And in the video, they show everything from this thing being dropped on cement to being shot with a gun. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And it looks pretty interesting. Um, you know, it's a woodpecker square. So it's, you know, 119 bucks right now. And I think 130 um, after the pre-order. So um, but anyway, it's it looks interesting if you're in the market for a big square and you want something that's indestructible. It certainly looks like it'll hold up better than the aluminum squares. I'm always uh, uh, afraid of dropping those, especially if you have concrete floors like I do. Mm-hmm. Back when I was when I was in the trade, I, um, you know, the, the really small, I think they're six or seven inch wooden handled squares. They're, they're mm-hmm. basically in a, a typical L square, a kind of a finer framing square than the triangle kind of framing square and um i must have dropped one and i have one that i actually etched on the wood not square because it's no longer square it's a good ruler you know and if you're doing something that's not 90 degrees you can still measure with it and mark with it but Mm -hmm. it it fell out of square because it got knocked and um so something like this i mean if it's i mean it's bigger it's it's a what two by two by 18 inch you know two foot by 18 inch like true like framing square like a stair stair square and all that other stuff, but it um, you, whatever they're making it out of it, and it, it, they they showed more abuse than I ever could think of one going through uh, on a job site. So I, it, it's probably worth it, you know, yeah. if that is if that is crucial for your operation, you know. Still on my um, you know, in my tool pouch, I've got stair nuts for those squares so that I can mark out stringers and stuff. God, I don't do it anymore, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's still there. And, uh, and that, I mean, that would be nice to know if with certainty and in kind of what woodpeckers is known for to be ultra precise, rarely if in a, in a field trade, are you worried about 30 seconds of an inch of accuracy, but there's probably is so, or better. Mm-hmm. I, I have one of their big aluminum, framing squares that mm-hmm. fell off fell off of a trash can and <laughs> onto the concrete asphalt whatever and that was a very sad day um mm-hmm. it's uh i bought it to square up the the miter fence on my uh sliding table saw attachment and um 
and I can't use it for that anymore. It's just sort of a rough layout tool now. But uh, yeah, I, it would have been nice to have had that as an option at the time. I would have definitely, I would have definitely bought it. I don't, is it much more than the aluminum version? It's around the same price. Yeah, um, I would, I would buy yeah. the composite in a heartbeat yeah. over the aluminum. Right. Yeah. So. It, I, it's one of those things like, why didn't we think about this sometime before? Is it just, I mean, it's not a space age material. It's been, you know, I guess composites are fairly new or being discovered as we go here. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, I, I don't know. It's good on them for, for putting it into use, you know, in this yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, next up, I wanted to uh, mention about the Texas Woodworking Festival. Um, y'all might remember that. It was... Uh, you know, it was scheduled during COVID. It got postponed uh, to a later date and then uh, canceled. But they have now set a new date, and that is September 4th, 2021. And uh, you can go to uh, TexasWoodworkingFestival.com, and uh, it's going to be held in Austin, Texas. And tickets are on sale now. They um, they start at $30. So, um it's uh looks like a looks like a great well you know though we went to the first and only one well I guess mm. it was their second one but it's the first one that was actually called the Texas Woodworking Festival and it was a great time and uh, they're having a lot of uh, exhibitors um, so you know it's going to be great I think uh, uh, Dowd Tools out of Dallas is going to be there so um, that's going to be fantastic so there should be some um, some vintage tools for sale. Um, also, um, uh, Leslie Webb is going to be there. And of course with her, uh, Heartwood tools. And of course you're going to have, uh, Jason, uh, Thigpen from Texas heritage woodwork. So mm-hmm. you can buy some nice rolls and all sorts of sorts of stuff. I think even, um, uh, what they have, the shaper origin, the shaper folks are going to be there. So there's going to, and I'm just, just, cherry picking um some some uh, exhibitors on their uh, page but there's a lot of folks that are going to be there so that's great one uh, one that caught my eye is there's going to be a violin maker there so if you're into luthery um, wow. that could be interesting and of course on the other end of that shopbot uh cnc uh, manufacturer is going to be there so it should be a pretty interesting time i'm planning on going um, so that is going to be again, September 4th, 2021 in Austin, Texas, the Texas woodworking festival. So, uh, it's going to be great. And I think we'll have, uh, the guys on and, um, Austin Waldo, um, probably invite him to come on the show here in the next few shows and, uh, talk more about it. Yeah, that's, that's really cool that they're getting it going. Um, besides labor day, I can't think of anything else that's happening around that weekend, but, uh, mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully it is well attended. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, Benchcrafted doesn't some you know come up with some sort mm. of conflict there because I think mm-hmm. the the original date for uh, Handworks was near Labor Day weekend mm-hmm. uh, before it was canceled. But um, yeah, it's yeah. I, I think they're just going to cancel it all together for this. For this, well, they, they yeah. haven't. I haven't heard anything, yes or no. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That would be. I, I'm I'm sorely tempted to run down there for this uh, and see if I can you know get myself a booth, but um, it, it have to have to verify that there isn't some sort of handworks conflict <laughs> for that because it's a much yeah. shorter drive to Iowa than it is to uh, to Texas. Texas. To Austin. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you'll have more fun. I will have fun. I, I Austin. <laughs> I, I 
went down there for a Lee Nielsen event, and, uh, and yeah. it was a great, great place for a show. So Exactly. And Lee Nielsen will be there, there, too, at this one. Yep. So, yep. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So well, that's yeah, a strong indicator that there is no there is no handworks conflict if uh, Lee Nielsen's already. Oh, if Lee Nielsen's there, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. I think they they have split companies in in some cases where they've got roving shows, but yeah, they used to have two separate sets that would travel. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, and one of the guys that was part of their traveling set lives there in Austin. So. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So. It's uh it's pretty cool. So uh, next up, uh, uh, Megan Fitzpatrick is uh, looking for Wood Joy Tools Precision Dovetail Templates. Yeah, so, so she she put this on Instagram. Yeah. Um, just today as we're recording it, so this will be days old by the time it's out in the wild. But uh-huh. um, she, so I pardon me while I read her post. For years, I recommended yeah. the Wood Joy Tools Precision Dovetail Template to readers and students, and should have bought another one. After a minor redesign, the stock got longer, blah, 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 blah. Um, and uh, But I was a fool and didn't, and now the maker's retired. So shameless plea, if you have one and you don't use it, I'd love to give it a good home and I'll pay you for it. She, she goes on to say, yes, I know others make them like that. They do other things. So please, I think I've covered all the, but you know, there's others, your comments. Just she really wants one of these things because it's what she likes and I think hers is a little worse for wear, and and now the maker is retired. So if you have one, hit her up on uh, on Instagram or anywhere else. She's one snug the joiner on Instagram is where she posted this, and um, I have no idea if anyone's reached out to her by now, but she's looking for one. I've never heard of them. I don't know them specifically. They look a mm-hmm. lot like uh, Sterling's, um, a different form, but uh, yeah, hit her up. She's a good girl. <laughs> And it, yeah, I I definitely don't I can't help her out. I don't have one. Either you, you know what? No, I've I've got a set of uh, a half set of uh, the Sterling Tool ones, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was the that was the one that I got when I started doing anything resu- you know remotely near dovetailing and uh, never look back. So mm-hmm. oh yeah, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah, I bought one from um, Woodpeckers, matter of fact, <laughs> mm. and. Yeah, and um, yeah, if she wants that one, she's welcome to it because I never use it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, Penland School of Crafts is hiring a new wood studio coordinator. It looks like uh, Aspen Golan is moving on to uh, bigger and better things, as we know she would. So they're looking Mm -hmm. to fill that position. So if you're interested in being a wood studio coordinator, I would uh, check out Penland School of Crafts. I think that position is already posted up there, so you can see what the... uh, qualifications and requirements are for that but yeah, i just uh, i just saw uh aspen put it on her instagram today so mm-hmm. yes um, i did too there's a chance it well it, it ought to be up there by the time this airs so yeah 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 and um, i'm sure they're just uh getting uh cvs and resumes in from folks to um and um then we'll be making the decision but yeah that that could be a great uh organization i mean they do all kinds of stuff kind of reminds me a little bit uh i've never been to the uh pinland school of crafts but kind of reminds me a little bit of anderson ranch with as many different craft studios they have there yeah yeah Yeah, when we talk to her i mean it is it is a super cool very varied i mean it's somewhere between uh, you know bennett street and a crafters guild you know, thing where there's a, such a wide variance. This job is specifically for the wood manager, wood shop manager, whatever. 
but um yeah it sounds it, it's a super cool sounding place mm-hmm. super, super cool. her, her post on instagram was a lot of a lot of fun i think so i think it spelled it out pretty well yeah <laughs> <laughs> she uh she's a seemed like a good time yeah oh, yeah yeah, we'll have to have her back on because I think she's going to be writing a book. So um, yeah, because the one thing I didn't get from her is what she's moving on to. Mm-hmm. She says she's going to be uh, creating full time and and working on a book. So yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll definitely uh, put her back on the rotation to have back as a guest. It'd be uh, fascinating to find out what she's up to and uh, and uh, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. So anyway. Uh, again, that's Penland School of Crafts if you're interested in being a wood studio coordinator. So let's move on to what's in the shop. So, Mark, what are you working on? Well, let me look around here. Uh, I am working on workbenches. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have I have one uh, that's uh, in process right now that I'm uh, filming some stuff for the students uh, for the, the at-home class. And uh, I'm trying to stay a couple of weeks ahead of those folks. And right. um but uh, that that one needs to get finished up and shipped. So there'll be a third bench coming along behind. Uh, that'll be my first spec bench in years. So it's, it it won't it doesn't have an owner yet, mm-hmm. and uh, it will be available. I, I I've realized through the course of the class that I I need to have a bench that's at the very same step as the students. Um, and so we have we have on Saturdays we have open shop for four hours where they, they can just kind of pop in and out on Discord, and I just have a live video stream running, and uh, I need to be working on the same thing they're working on so that I'm kind of in the same headspace as them, and uh, so I've got this bench that I'm gonna push through and get caught up, and then it'll just sit during the week, and on Saturdays it'll get work you know I'll do the the tasks that they're supposed to be doing that mm-hmm. week. Uh, to that bench so that way when um whenever we have a question or an issue i can kind of um you know i'll just know exactly where they're at so uh this is for the podcast people only uh if you're interested in a walnut accented silver maple seven foot split top there will be one available in a few weeks so hit me up free delivery to northwest ohio uh no no but the shipping (laughs) to northwest ohio is not that expensive so um (laughs) You know, um, yeah, other than that, um, I put out a video this week or last week on uh, sharpening a uh, shoulder plane. Yeah, I was and about to say, you have been active on uh, YouTube. Uh-huh, it, I've seen a few. It yeah. sparked a little bit of a debate um, that has kind of led me down this uh, rabbit hole or rabbit plane hole. Um, but uh when I when I learned to use a shoulder plane, I was taught uh, by Chris Schwarz to to let the blade stick out a little bit past the side of the body. Right. And somebody uh, commented on the on the post that you know that's not the way you should do it. And I I am not a um, I, I'm always looking for a reason to change my mind. I, I'm trying to keep an open mind with woodworking because I don't have that much exp- you know I mean I, I've been doing it a while. I do it a lot. But I am by no means a guru or a master, and so I'm always interested. You know, okay, what's your logic? What's you know why? And uh, two or three people have chimed in now. So I, I went to Rubo and I did not find anything in there because metal-bodied shoulder planes, uh, <laughs> I guess they just didn't exist. There you go. Uh, and yeah. the, the 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 nearest um, the the next oldest uh, reference source I had was um, Hayward's stuff. 
mm-hmm. that, the, that book set of books that uh, was published. And Hayward is of two minds. Uh, he thinks that it's re- you know it doesn't make any sense that the blade should be wider. That it, it ought to be ground flush. Uh, and and he has no idea why they would do that. And then in a in another article he says maybe it should stick out a little bit. Um, so that kind of led me, uh, I, I sent an email to Chris Schwarz and <laughs> got some information off of him because I didn't know which article came out first. So I wanted to know the order they were published in right. and he chimed in. So I, the next, my next email is going to be to, uh, Matt Bickford. Um, and, but I think what I've come down to is that, um, the, having the iron wider than the body is a holdover from rabbit planes because that's what shoulder planes develop from. And if you if you are using a rabbit plane to cut a rabbit, and you don't have the blade just slightly past the side of the body, you can't get a vertical wall. And it's one of those things that you know you, you won't get a square a square you know the, the shoulder won't be square to the to the tenon the tongue. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it's one of those things that makes no sense in theory, but in practice you have to do it that way, or you just don't get a, a good result. And I think uh, since shoulder planes kind of developed out of rabbit planes, it's one of those things where if you need to use your shoulder plane to cut a rabbit from scratch, uh, you need to be able to extend the blade past the body. Right. But if you're just using a shoulder plane to you know, trim and clean up a shoulder, then you would want it flush. So that's kind of where I've landed until I, until I learn otherwise from somebody else. So there, there will probably be a blog post about this and a, and a little video talking about it on on YouTube at some point. Mark, you're you're on the right path, obviously. I think with the the, the evolution of the tool and and this, but only a time I think that it would be a problem if it overhung is if you were datoing with it and the exact thickness of the plane was the dado you were making, where you couldn't vary even a thousandth outside of it. But I doubt yeah. that's really a, a, an issue. Yeah, and but the, but you would need a um, oh that's a whole different plane, right? I mean, typically, you would, yeah. I mean, you would be using a side rabbit or something like that to um, maybe that's what the side rabbits are for is to make those dados a little bit wider so you can get your your shoulder plane down in there. Your rabbit oh plane. yeah, I mean yeah, I mean but also the the that plane will will define a true sheer wall, right? I mean that's what they do, and so it well, widens. Think- I think for you know for digging out a trough, you're you're going to go to your shoulder or your uh, your router plane anyways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you and you know that that's the side of that router plane blade is is square, uh, you know it's vertical to the to the wall, uh, and that scrapes the side as you dig the trough out. So um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't you know it's one of those things that it's inside baseball nerdy hand tool woodworking stuff, but that's. Um, I'll it's be interested to, to. Yeah, I'll be interested <laughs> to see what you uh, come out with. Yeah, yeah. But, I think uh, Bickford will be the final word on it. I yeah. got some people that I trust opinions. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, anytime yeah. you start chasing after a, a, a comment on YouTube, you're running the risk of um, wasting a lot of time. But yeah. this seems like a really valid point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted well, to make sure that I was not spreading, uh, you know, conventional wisdom in place of true knowledge. So. Right. Yeah. Well, my only comment on that is, you know, I don't use my shoulder plane a lot, but I do use it quite regularly for a couple of operations, especially in making my jigs. And um, mine sticks out like, you know, a couple of thou and it's never been an issue. 
Yeah, I've mm-hmm. never had it yeah. cause a problem. I never looked at it and said, oh, it's dug in, you know, right in there at the corner. It's and, and I've never seen that. So, um, but, you know, who knows? So, yeah, the only time I run into issues is when I get the blade out of square with the with the sole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you end exactly. up with a crooked cut. And yeah. so mm-hmm. that seems to me the most important part of the setup. So mm-hmm. there you go. Subscribe to Mark and follow along as we will. Yes. The, uh, the shoulder plane uh, mystery. Yeah. <laughs> Deep dive shoulder plane. Yes, yes. I think the Chronicle Shol- shoulder plane chronicles. Ah, there you yes. go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It'll you be like a, there's a book idea in there. There's somewhere. a podcast I mean, in there somewhere. Yeah, there, yeah at least yeah. a podcast. Yeah. You know, like like winds of change, like this intriguing as a shoulder plane cuts or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so Sean, what are you working on? So first of all, I've been shot, Fantastic. and by that I mean I got a COVID shot. So yes. I live in the state of Ohio. We're all a little different in the states. I get it. Um, I talked to a coworker of mine in, in Buffalo, New York today. As of now in New York, if you're 50, you can get the shot. In Ohio, if you're 16, you can get the shot as of this week. So, yes. you know, all good. Anyway, mm. uh, so that happened. Uh, on Monday morning, I got it. And Tuesday, Which I Which flavor felt, did you get? Oh, uh, the flavor. I got the Janssen or the pharmaceutical arm of Johnson & Johnson as it ah, is. Ah, okay. Um, so that's the one-shot deal. You know, uh-huh. it's not the mRNA. It's more of a typical... Um, like a flu shot. It's the uh, the inactive cell resembling the spike protein and forming the immune system. Yada yada yada. Right. Like it's still gonna work, um, but I I only had to do it once, and I did feel a little downtrodden the next day, but nothing atypical. Too much, you know, mm-hmm. slight arm arm soreness and a little a little down, not fever or anything like that. It was just like eh, it was fine. So that was interesting. Yeah. Um, well, and yeah, I think and then, I, as I told you all before the shot show. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, I had my second shot tomorrow of the Pfizer. Okay, so nice, we'll, nice. We'll see how that goes. I, I had my first one uh, a couple weeks ago. We could, it sort of fell in my lap. Yeah, so nice. So I, I happen to live in an area where they have a hard time filling up shot clinics. Ah, I've heard of those. If you can really imagine nice. that. Yeah. And uh, my friend's wife was scheduling them for all of her employees at her business. And uh, they said, well, we need some more people to come in if you know anyone. And he turned to me and said, you want to you want to get vaccinated tomorrow? And uh, oh, yes, please. Thank you very much. Yeah. So Short answer. I the, yes. <laughs> got the Pfizer and um, I'll get okay. my next one in a week or so. Excellent. Excellent. Mm. And Anthony, uh, Anthony, you said you're you're up on deck, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm scheduled for this Sunday, actually. Excellent. It's uh, it's been hard to get them here in in New Jersey. Um, I've been like trying to schedule myself an appointment for uh, weeks, and um, a, a lot of times, like what uh, Mark said, sometimes uh, somebody you know. I happen to just get scheduled right away, but my wife um, made a friend and uh, called her yesterday and asked her if she wanted to get her shot today. So my wife uh, got her first shot today. Excellent. Nice. Excellent. Yep. I, I like the way this is going more and more and more getting it. Yeah. And, Cause uh, I read an article. It's like, um, I think like the Pfizer, I don't, I don't know about the Moderna, but I think it was a study done in Israel. So they were doing the Pfizer over there, but they were saying after one shot, um, within a couple of weeks, you were like 85% um, mm-hmm. efficacy rate. So that's really good. And I think with Not the bad. second shot, you're up to 97 or something like that. Yep. 
Yeah, and they're all they're all good. They all keep you from being seriously mm-hmm. hospitalized and dying, which is very very important. Um, none of them stop the transmission, so not to get all technical and medical and viral mm-hmm. on, on the podcast, but still stay protected, still wear a mask, still keep distant, all that other jazz. Uh, while this is still going around, we don't know what's what variants are out there and what's gonna what's gonna work and what's not gonna work going forward. So. Still be safe, but I'm glad that uh, we're seeing that happen. Glad to hear all of the parties involved here are are in the process. That's excellent. Excellent. So beyond, beyond that, uh, before that, actually, um, we – oh, you know, another thing. So my bees died. Oh, oh no. We checked on them just a few weeks ago. We saw pollen coming in, and then the weather broke, and it was like near 65, 70 degrees. And we said, you know what? Let's go check. And we took off the lid and go – that's weird. There's no activity. Ah, crap. Look at the front. No activity. Okay, let's dig in. I pull frame after frame after frame, and there's just dead. Still, like, butts visible stuck in their little cells, dead. Mm. All the reading we did immediately said they died of starvation, which doesn't make sense because by the time I got down to the honey super, it is backstraining heavy with honey. So I don't know okay. what caused it and we they can get to it yeah absolutely yeah. i mean it's it yeah. we we did this whole like winter staging thing yeah. where you put it below them because they're going to cluster high but even on the higher cells there were some frames that were empty but some frames adjacent to those frames that had honey still in them so they didn't eat their resources we think maybe the queen might have died early which then bees just kind of live out their lives and die they don't mm-hmm. know any better, especially in winter. In 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 a warmer time, if the queen might die or leave, they would try to make a new queen or go seek out a new queen. Um, maybe that happened. We couldn't find her. Honestly, the piles of dead were were numerous, so we don't know where she might be. We didn't have her marked or anything, so it was just wow. a free for all. Um, but we're going to have to get new ones. We're probably going to get a second hive because actually the guy I follow on YouTube that kind of informed a lot of how we did things, he's been successful for years. He's ballooned up to like 14 hives. He's got this big bee yard. Um, 13 of his hives died this winter. Hmm. Weird because last year there were none and they all thrived. And it's he's like circumstantially this, 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 and the other things. I mean, this kind of can happen. So. Yeah. Well, it uh, sounds like you need to make a, a new shed for your beehive so you can heat it during the winter. Oh, my God. No, they don't like that. I mean, they, they, do, they still need to get out. I mean, they that's need really to hard. hibernate. Yeah, they need to they, hibernate, too. They yeah. slow down. They, they, they tuck in. They cluster up. They do all this other stuff. I mean, they will live in the wild. They're fine. Like, it's, it, they don't need me to intervene, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we just we just try to help them, and I did everything I could in my in my knowledge base. I did everything I could, but anyway, they passed away. But on on top of that, um, my wife has a bunch of dahlia flower. Um, I don't know if they're pods tuber tubers. I think they're called because they're like one of those tuber type flowers um, on order, and so we're converting this kind of partially marched bed outside our bedroom window into what will be like a dahlia garden. Hmm. And so I'm making these little raised beds, like six foot by five foot raised beds, which is a super simple construction. I've got some treated pegs and treated one by fours and 
cut them into boxes. But I want to just put a little note out there that if you're doing something, measure twice, cut once. And if you're making 16 of something, make sure you are eight. Oh, no, it wasn't 16. Eight of something. Make sure you count and don't lose track because I measured and I cut and then I got distracted and then I continued to cut and I thought I was good and I missed it by one. So I have enough for seven boxes and one long edge and three short edges because I cut one short. <laughs> so uh, um, I got to go get another board and, and cut it down and it'll be fine. But um, can, I, can I make an addendum to that rule? Oh, please. Cut, cut your longest parts first. I did. I did do oh, that. Okay. I did. I so, <laughs> so I got I got six foot one by fours. And yes, they were cheaper than eight footers. And they were I was going to throw away the waste anyway. I hate doing that. And but I couldn't bring home 12 footers. It probably would have been cheaper per foot kind of thing. But yeah. it was just a thing like whatever. I didn't care. It saved us like forty five dollars to get six footers apparently according or, instead of eight footers. But um. I, I had them all on, a, on horses in a couple different stacks, and I cut, and I cut, and I cut, and I cut, and I cut. And I had them leaning when they were cut and flat when they weren't, and I like totally did it. I thought I could count, but in the middle of this, we're inspecting a beehive, and I come back, and I went, I'm good. So I changed that and figure out my five-foot cut and or whatever it needed to be, and and uh, and it wasn't until I got my son to start constructing when he goes, something's wrong. I went, what? <laughs> I went, no, you oh he goes well let me make sure i didn't use one in the wrong place i'm like no you've got them all stacked on each other if it was a foot different in one dimension you would know you it would like if you yeah. use that on the wrong piece it wouldn't fit on top of the others and uh no no i just i cut one short so 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 what kind of joinery are you using on the oh totally just butt joining i it's it's butt joined boxes and there's going to be you know one by posts or mm. i guess they're two by two posts inch and inch and a half square okay um, so you're just not, okay. in, in the corners and then along the longest edges because there's some bows in it. Just try to treat them out. And then they're going to these four boxes too high. So it's going to be like seven inches high, you know, whatever. Um, they're going to be spaced out with like a two, two and a half foot walkway between all four of them. Kind of like in a plus sign cross pattern um, in this space because space is like 17 feet by 15 feet or something like that. There's a whole bunch of area to fill in. The idea that you can get it. She wanted them weirdly smaller she wanted them like six by four but that would leave a lot of gap in one direction um because she said like then getting to the middle of it will be difficult if it's too wide like so, okay fair point mm-hmm. but uh they'll they'll be fine they'll be fine these things some of these things need to be too far yeah dahlias yeah are they are they too specific to attract the bees or for the bees that you you raise um, I mean, that was the original thing. I mean, we until <laughs> you killed the bees. <laughs> till yeah, till the bees died. But yes, and you know what's what kicking right now is. I mean, we're we're in spring in in the, the Midwest Ohio or Midwest and Northwest Ohio, and so just in the last day, we're getting the tree buds falling down. So you're like, oh, what an opportunity for pollination. You know, I would love to help that out, but um, nope. There, I mean, that's not a hundred percent. We have bird feeders in the area. It's just kind of to spruce up what is otherwise a mulchy mess of. I mean, mm-hmm. we have some hibiscus and some some lilac in the area, but these dahlias. Her friend had dahlias, and and so we're getting hundreds of different dahlia varieties or something. So it'll be 
really big because those flowers get to be like 10 inches wide if you've seen them i mean they're really they're really, plate really dahlias yeah they're really pretty and some of them are ball shaped some of them are kind of plate shaped it's it's pretty cool so that's an on, ongoing project they're not in place yet they're actually stacked up in my garage still uh and uh so we'll uh we'll see where that goes so mark how about you oh no sorry not mark we're on to kyle kyle, yes. kyle how about you um well let's see um, since last time we talked, I completed building my steam bending rig, but, uh, then I got sidetracked on getting a new batch of boring jigs done. I got those done, um, uh, finished those up yesterday. I was going to do some steam bending today, but the little area where I set up my, uh, my steam, uh, generator and, uh, box, um, which is a little overhang outside my house. Well, um, the weather decided to change today, and it was raining, and uh, the wind was blowing at about 200 miles an hour. <laughs> Give or take. <laughs> yeah, right where I set up my steam rig. And I, uh, so I was like, I think I'll wait. <laughs> I could have done it, uh, but it's just like, you know, I don't want to be so uncomfortable in doing this. And, um, you know, I'm not running a race with this. Uh, so I you may have had a hard wait. time keeping it warm with that much wind Mm -hmm. exactly exactly plus you know the the thing does leak so you know normally i put a little catch pan i would probably have to put a whole bunch of them and then those would probably blow away so it was ridiculous so i said i'll just wait for a better day so anyway so that's ongoing but i did finish up the uh new batch of boring jigs so i do have a little inventory so that that's good um, I'm still, I think last time we were on this, I was going to make a, a video about, uh, some adapters I found that you can use with my, uh, coupler with the, uh, um, half inch shaft and the coupler, the half inch coupler normally, uh, works with half inch shank to drill bits, but I have some other alternatives. Haven't shot that yet, but that's still up, uh, to be done, but one of the things I ran across when I um, was doing my boring jigs is I put these little uh, rare earth magnets. And these are little magnets that actually have a hole in the middle of them. So you can just use a screw to attach them. You don't have to glue them in with epoxy and it's a lot better. And um, when I first ordered uh, a batch, I've ordered uh, two times I've ordered these these magnets and they were half inch in size and I did the same exact order as, as uh, I've always done. And when they came in, they were 12 millimeters in diameter and not half inch. And I was like, crap. Well, luckily I have a 12 millimeter, uh, Brad point bit. And that's one of the things I'd like to recommend is I think these are actually called bamboo drill bits or something like that. Um, or type 601 drill bits, but they're from my favorite Japanese, uh, drill bit manufacturer mm-hmm. star M. And, um, these are just fantastic bits they are kind of like a combination of a Brad point Forstner bit and like a Jennings uh, auger bit, the way they cut and there, they cut some of the nicest holes I have ever seen. Um, you know, flat bottom holes and, uh, they're absolutely fantastic. Unfortunately, they're only available in metric, but you can get them in the U S from Haida tool, 
but um, they only have like, I think from three millimeter to 12 millimeter uh, workshop heaven, which is out of England and there, they have reasonable prices as well as reasonable shipping. Um, you can get them all the way up to 22 millimeters. Um, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. If you're looking for some metric bits, Brad point type bits, I highly, highly recommend those. The only downside is these bits are pretty darn short. They're not very long bits, but uh, they cut so incredibly well. Yeah, they they look like they have like lipped spurs. Yes, they do. Is that right? Yeah, I mean that. So that's kind of like um, the best comparison would be the um, the Wood Owl like ultra smooth auger yeah. bits. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're not like you said. They're they're a lot shorter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. But yeah, lot. if you don't need to drill a real deep hole, that that looks like a really good bit. Yep. Is there any yep. secure way of putting an extender on those? I've used drill like shaft extensions that have the, even a quick connect on there, but there's always play in them. I mean, they, mm-hmm. there's there's no real good way of 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 keeping something like that because I mean to look at that, I would guess that bit is is it three inches long? Is it four? Maybe it's like, uh, yeah, it's about three to four inches long, somewhere in there. It's eh, I'm sure it's measured may, in metric, may, maybe but. four to five, somewhere in that, that okay. neighborhood. Um, but yes, if you watch my upcoming video, I will show you how to uh, put an extension on there that's uh, very stable. There's actually a uh, company that sells a what they call a hex extender, and it's basically to join two um, hex drives together to make a longer hex drive. And they have them for um, the quarter inch. And um, the outside diameter of this is a half an inch. So you can put it into a half inch collar and put a quarter inch bit in there. And uh, it works wonderfully. No play or anything like that in there. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I highly recommend that. Um, And uh, again, uh, that's uh, Workshop Heaven out of uh, England or uh, Haida Tools. And uh, they're out of California, I believe. There you go. So uh, anyway, so Anthony, what are you working on? Well, um, due to my uh, recent fascination with uh, with chairs, um, I'm getting myself all set up. I Just this week alone, I built um, my Steam box, which I'm very proud of. Uh, some oh, fantastic. Long, you know, pretty long. I made it about interior dimensions, like 62 inches. Um, and I also, um, built the riving break, uh, was able to score some really cool, like somebody contacted our woodworkers association that I belong to out here in New Jersey. And, um, they just chopped down this like huge Oak tree and had some really beautiful logs, uh, that, you know, we're just welcome to come take them. So I went and grabbed a few and I'm going to do some experimentation with, uh, riving out some, some spindles and 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 bending some uh, some parts for my my new chair. So forgive me, I'm not a chair guy, but a riving brake. What is that? Yeah, so um, it's used a lot with uh, green woodworking, and it's uh, it's it's sort of looks like a, a box that's on the floor. Um, it's like a oh big okay size shoe box, and got metal pipes uh, stuck in like four different four pipes stuck in at different um elevations and and widths and it's they're basically to hold uh, a long branch or a log oh to, right to arrive okay yeah so you you hold it at the foot okay I, that totally makes sense it's okay. a leverage point 
Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So you, it'll just like cock in there and grab, and so then some stable so you can drive on it. Totally right. Makes sense. And according, you know, as you're throwing through the through the piece, you know, depending on which way the the grain is pulling, you can turn it and uh, apply pressure to try to achieve a pretty straight grain split throughout oh, the hub. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. W- that, what'd you make your steam box? Did you make a wooden one or are you using the I made a yep. wood one, uh, okay. uh, and uh, I just used uh, some. Well, I didn't use plywood. I was going to use plywood. I actually used some pine, um, mm-hmm. and uh, just uh, you know screwed it all together. Uh, I bought this the steamer from uh, Rockler. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The little Ehrlich stream, the steamer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I put a one of my thermometers for a, one of it's actually a, a meat thermometer. Um, mm-hmm. that I, I stuck into the top uh, just to regulate the temperature and uh yeah looking forward to to sparking that up all right fantastic yeah 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 i use the, i use the same thing i stole the thermometer from our kitchen when i steam and that's what i use but <laughs> it's luckily, like it's one of those like it's one of those like wireless a, ones so i don't have to pay attention oh to yeah i yeah. always think of like the grill th- type thermometers with just like the dial and the stick you know that's yeah, what i use in mine yeah that's the kind i used uh sean so the, the grill type that you, you would put on the top of a weber or, or something Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah yeah i just stole what we had in the kitchen ours was wireless so i was like hey this works <laughs> <laughs> i can i can run around the house and no don't have to babysit and go yep it's still at you know 210 or whatever so yeah right very cool 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 well that's great well well so anthony so tell us tell us a little bit about uh, your background so you have a completely fascinating background um <laughs> so 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 tell us about that <laughs> <laughs> well uh yeah i mean um i i started out many many moons ago um it's like it's actually right before i went to college um i joined the police department in newark new jersey and uh, it was a, it was definitely an adventure. Um, I made my way through uh, patrol and then into the detective division. And uh, I worked uh, a couple years in the vice squad. Um, uh, majority of my time in the detective division was with narcotic squad. Wow. Then I did uh, I did a, actually a year in homicide and um, and about two years in the warrant squad. So. Uh, yeah, definitely a, a lot of stories. But I could tell you so many stories, but we'd need a lot more airtime for <laughs> that part of my life. But um, I bet. So, I mean, I mean, in rough terms. I mean, how was that? You know, in I don't know what part of Jersey you're in. I don't know how much that bleeds. I'm not an East Coast guy, but that seems like that is a a very busy or could be busy avenue to work in. It was definitely, yeah, and if uh, Newark, New Jersey is definitely probably oh, one, of, wow. one of the busiest. Yeah. yeah, I mean, compared to, you know, it's it's most often compared to any big city uh, as far yeah. as crime rate um, and population as well. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a big city, and there was definitely never a dull moment. Um, always action. That's crazy. Great in my younger days, so. <laughs> <laughs> So oh, you kept on your toes, yeah. I mean, definitely kept me on my toes for sure. So were you on the? You, I'm sorry, investigator or beat or? I was. Uh, I, I started out in patrol after graduating police academy. You know, patrol means you know driving around in uniform and you know part of a unit. Um, and then 
I was uh, promoted to detective division uh, with the vice squad first. And wow. my way the vice, which was like uh, illegal uh, liquor, gambling and prostitution. Mm. And- oh, man. <laughs> All right. Hey, next next time, uh, find Wood Working Live. I'm coming. We're sitting down, <laughs> carving hours out. I just want to hear stories. That is intriguing. We'll set that well. up for sure. <laughs> yeah, that that is fascinating. Wow. Hell yes. Yeah, yeah. Especially Newark, New Jersey. So you're you're talking probably organized crime and all that good stuff too. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh man. So yeah, yeah. We definitely need to uh, <laughs> sit back and, and and buy you a few rounds and uh, mm-hmm. for sure, <laughs> for sure. So after the police department, um, deciding on what I wanted to do, I uh, I I was fascinated with with cooking, and uh, I said I want to try going to culinary school. So and enrolled in culinary school. And, um, you know, graduated from culinary school and just started working my way through through some of the top restaurants uh, in New York City. I, if you, I mean, I was a little I went in the school a little bit older, um, mm-hmm. as a second career already. So I felt like if I wanted to get anywhere, I'd have to kind of really jumpstart my career by just working at the top notch restaurants and uh eating a lot of poop. Um, <laughs> sometimes, you know, guys yelling in my face, uh, you know, a sous chef that would, um, like, you know, trying to berate me and I'm, you know, standing there like, you know, listening and just thinking to myself, man, about, you know, a year ago, I've been choking you out right now, but. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the fascination with scallops and risotto? Like, why is that always the thing that gets people just berated and beat down? It seems like that's always paired together, right? It's like just yeah. a, one of those classic combinations. I, I mean, I, I like, uh, I like keeping them separate, actually. I like doing scallops and um, risotto. I, it's kind of heavy for me. Uh I, I like to cook a little lighter, um, but of course I was classically trained and I've cooked many, many risottos and worked in many restaurants that uh, served risotto in many different ways. But yeah, it seems like the classic, uh, I, I feel like I expect to see that like on pizzeria menus someday. So that <laughs> seems, it seems like that's the trial by fire for chefs. Like that's the thing that, uh, that they always get screamed at about. I don't watch those shows, really. I mean, <laughs> well, I tell you, that's funny because uh, I I was um, in wanting to to sort of further jumpstart my my cooking career uh, on my path to becoming a chef. I decided after a couple years of working in Manhattan restaurants that you know it would look really great on my resumes if I had some European experience. So mm-hmm. I thought, let me go to France um, and and see if I can do what we call a stage, like an apprenticeship, a fancy French word for an apprenticeship. And um, so I was, you know, kicking it around for a while and then doing some research, um, mainly just through reading, reading books and and newspapers uh, back then, not too much on the internet. And um, I saw there was this like great resort in the South of Portugal. Um, It was ran by a French chef and I would, I can go there. I was like, oh, I, you know, my, my background is Portuguese. I can speak Portuguese. Although, you know, I was born and raised here. Um, so I was like, oh, let me try. I, I sent the guy an email. Um, he emailed me back. It was kind of very loose communication. So I packed my bags anyway, and I went. And I got there, and I went into the kitchen. I checked into a room. So this was at 
um, a resort that was owned um, by Starwood. Uh, and I was working at a W Hotel in New York City. It was actually the first W Hotel ever built. Um, so I, I figured it would be great. I can, you know, I'm working here, go there and work and everything would be, be kosher. So I get there and the, uh, the head chef is, is away. He's in Paris for, for a couple of days. Uh, so the, the sous chef told me just, you know, hey, hang out, enjoy the resort, you know, stay here a couple of days and, um, we will talk when he comes back. Uh, so, um, never having anything concrete or whatever, um, I, you know, I don't know if this guy, this guy really wasn't expecting me, but the, the chef came up with an idea. Maybe we'll put you on this little shack on the beach. You know, you can cook some seafood fresh. We pull it in from the waters. Uh, it was, you know, beautiful. I'm like, okay, whatever. We'll see when, when, what happens when the chef uh, gets back. Meanwhile, in my room, flipping through some magazines, and I found this restaurant. This little private restaurant, little private hotel. Uh, it was like a 15-room hotel. Um, it had two Michelin stars. So by the Michelin system, three is tops. Yes. Uh, it was the only restaurant in the whole country that had any stars, actually. It was, and this had wow. two. So it was, it was pretty top notch. I yeah. raced over there, grabbed, grabbed a taxi and raced over there. Um, I, I waited for the chef to come out and so I could speak to him. I spoke to him. Now this was a, an Austrian chef, um, speaking, he was speaking very broken English. Uh, he, brought out the front of house manager uh, so we could talk a little bit and uh, told him, you know, I was a cook from New York City. I was here, you know, I wanted to do a little, you know, apprenticeship. And uh, and he agreed. He told me, yeah, sure, you can start on Monday uh, and I'll pay you. And I was like, what? Oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got back to the resort where I was staying. The chef finally gets back from Paris and uh, he's like, OK, uh, you know, we're ready. You know, you can start working here. Um, you have your papers. You can get some papers you know, for, to work from from their capital, from Lisbon. And I was like, yeah, I went to Lisbon and they, they denied me the papers. Sorry, I can't work. Bye. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I took off for the, the great restaurant and uh, I, I had a, a, a wonderful, wonderful experience. It was amazing. Uh, this place was on the cliff overlooking the ocean. And uh, we would like forage in the in the uh, on the cliffs for like fresh herbs and and bay leaves right off the tree and come in and, and cook it um, every morning. Uh, the the menu changed every single day. Uh, it was different, so it was like you work hard though. You work morning, you know, you have a little break in the afternoon, um, do um, service, and then into dinner service. So. And then at the end of dinner service is when we sit back outside under the stars, drinking a couple beers and go over the menu for the next day. Um, so it was just a great experience, you know, working there and, and it was amazing. Um, yeah. After that, I came back to the United States and uh, definitely helped uh, on my resume because I, I got a job at one of the top restaurants uh, in New York City as uh, a sous chef, a junior sous chef, like mm-hmm. entry level management. Well, fantastic. And so what are you doing now? Uh, So right now I'm uh, what's called the area chef um, for Facebook headquarters in in New York City. Uh, We see culinary operations for a couple different concepts and um, and two of our main buildings uh, and and the New York campus. Wow. Wow. That's got to that's got to be a a fairly uh, interesting and rewarding uh, place to work, too. 
Uh, it's super interesting, super yeah. rewarding. Um, when I was first told about it, though, I, it was funny. A, a friend of mine approached and approached me. He's like, hey, you, you know, you want to go uh, work, uh, be a chef at Facebook? And I'm like, for Facebook? I'm like, what am I going to cook on the computer? Like, what that? <laughs> like this, this whole world of, uh, uh, you know, I, I knew corporate dining, but I, I didn't. Uh, it wasn't something that really appealed to me. So it's, it's definitely much, much different. I, I don't even like to say it's a it's a corporate dining position or I'm a, I'm a corporate chef because it, it's so much more. We um, it, it's obviously a global company. Facebook is, is humongous, but mm-hmm. um, we operate as if we are um, an individual restaurant. We have the chefs who are writing menus. Um, they don't come from like this main commissary kitchen. Um, we handle menuing, we handle ordering, um, <clears throat> all sorts of different events uh, on on the particular sites, and it's uh, it just makes you feel like you're you're really you know uh, accomplished and and doing uh, basically what what you want what you mm-hmm. what into. So so are you like overseeing operations? I mean, are you in the kitchen or a little both or, or uh, yeah, what's your day to day like? I'm just kind of curious. Uh, as you as you rise up through the ranks, you find yourself doing a lot less of what you wanted to become a chef for in the first place, which is cooking. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm actually at this point uh, when we get back uh, into the office, uh, I probably. Um, I will rarely be in the kitchen cooking. Um, I will be going through the kitchens, uh, observing and, um, you know, and keeping sort of an eye on things, organization, logistics, you know, um, things that I'll probably be, um, working on. Not probably, this is what I, you know, at my, at at my level, what we work on is like, you know, budgeting, ordering, Mm -hmm. um, waste. Um, making sure we, you know, donations, doing the community service, um, logistics, you know, thinking out processes and efficiencies, um, maintaining sustainability efforts, um, just a lot of general planning. And, and then the culture. We, we have a very vibrant culture mm-hmm. at Facebook. And um, so we work hard to, to keep, a, you know, an amazing environment for both, you know, all the workers and, and all of our guests as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's very important. It's funny to me how how strongly this parallels any other craft, uh, you know, where, it, you know, if you're, if you're working for a smaller niche type restaurant or business, you know, you, you're you're very hands on with the, with the craft itself. And then as the, as things grow and get bigger and, and they serve a wider audience, you just you you um, you have a hard time staying in touch with that that original craft. Mm-hmm. Because it's just so much bigger than than that, you know. One, once you try to turn it into a business, yeah, um, yeah. I think my my only connection to the culinary stuff is a guy at work whose daughter went through something something similar to what you did. Um, you know, some New York school, some upstate New York farm to table, highly sought after restaurant training. Uh, she goes out to California, auditions for different places, finds a place that has a, like a three-month waiting list to get in, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just one of these like it's uber competitive, it's uber difficult, you know, and and yeah, and just all this stuff. It's it's wild. Yeah, it's wild. I I probably know which school and which restaurant she went to in uh, upstate New York as well. It's funny as you you get towards the. Uh, Towards the top, like the the higher end restaurants, it's it's funny how 
how small of a family it is and that we yeah know the chefs in the different you know positions and and the different restaurants and uh it's kind of cool because we can you know pick up the phone and call them and you know some mm -hmm. where somebody probably waits six months for a reservation uh, <laughs> we can kind of get in through the back door i guess one of the perks yeah. being a that's chef. crazy he uh, i mean he the way he said it i mean this place that she was doing the firm to table stuff like as a as a younger student coming in, you know, working for free kind of stuff, she was <laughs> she was like defeathering and skinning chickens in the yard for that night's meals, you know, and and was gardening as well as cooking, you know, just like it was a full thing. But that got her, you know, a very successful job, and she's whatever is above sous chef at this this whatever restaurant in wherever California, you know, it's just. It's really cool. And I, I, that was the first experience I had or knowledge I had of like, wait, you like unpaid audition. You work a shift for no money to see if you're worthy to do this thing that is so competitive. Yeah, it's funny. It doesn't happen that much anymore. But a lot of the uh, those big name restaurants back in the day would even hire you and not give you any money. Uh, mm hmm. Not just for the audition, but your actual, you know, work. You're allowed to eat at the end of your shift, and it was, uh, yeah, say so build your bones. But that doesn't really happen anymore. It's kind of, yeah, but I mean, but that kind of stuff, like it, it breeds the culture. You know, you want to be the best at what you do. You want to be able to perform to a certain status, and that definitely makes it happen. Yeah. You know, you can't help but not. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, a lot like woodworking, I think. It's, um, you know, you, you, if you see, if you work with somebody that's, you know, in, into the precision and, and so, so such a craftsman, it, it's a big difference than, you know, someone that's uh, just putting some things together, you know, as a, as a home craftsman. Yeah, for well, sure. Yeah, that's, well, this is like, uh, if you go to the next uh, Fine Woodworking Live, this is day two where we buy you drinks and talk about your <laughs> experience as a chef. So, uh, yeah. And in day three, we'll talk about the next question. There you go. How'd you get into woodworking? Speaking of. Well, but, uh, so, uh, before we get into that, um, so have you met any of the big uh, uh, head honchos there at Facebook? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean the only head honchos I think that everybody knows is probably Mark Zuckerberg, Mark, yeah, Cheryl Sandberg, yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, Mark finally he came out to New York, um, visited last year, so we got to cook for him. And um, so, I'm were you in the kitchen on that day? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's the day you have every all hands on deck, you know. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. Well, that's fantastic. Well, well, back to Mark's question. So with all this, so how did you get into woodworking? Wow. So um, I, I guess I, I owe it to, to my dad. Um, my dad was like a, a, a super talented word worker. Um, didn't do it professionally, but he was definitely very, very talented. And, and I remember like all my my mom's uncles, um, they were like one was a mason and one was a carpenter. Uh, had this huge shop in, in like a personal shop in Newark, uh, like in their garage above their garage, above like a five car garage. They had nice. this shop that had everything, you know, all those beautiful old tools, I believe are still in there actually. Um, wow. table saws and everything that I remember visiting as a young kid, um, you know, probably in the 80s, in the seventies, maybe even. Um, so, um, yeah, my dad, um, uh, was, 
super talented. Uh, he kind of did what I did, but in reverse. He started out in restaurants. Um, he and my uncle owned a, a pretty pretty popular restaurant um, where we grew up in Newark, and um, he hated it. So he left <laughs> he left the restaurant business and uh, and went into law enforcement. He became a sheriff's officer here in Essex County, uh, and I kind of did the the opposite. I was uh, in law enforcement first, and I was fascinated with with cooking and kitchens, and I just thought it was always like uh, you know I, I would find myself actually when I was still in the detective division, and you know if we'd go have a meeting at a restaurant um, or you know to talk to somebody. Uh, I would, I, you know, ask the, either the owner or the chef, I can just come check out the kitchen and I'd stand there in the back of the kitchen watching these guys, uh, going through these, like, it seemed what seemed like synchronized chaos. Uh, and it was just, to me, I don't know, it was just fascinating how they, they all bring it together, uh, and all this like movement and motion and, and pots up and down and pans in and out of the oven and knives going all over the place, uh, that somehow, you know, all came together this like beautiful dish, like a work of art that would make it out to the dining room. So um, that controlled chaos, I guess, was appealing to me mm-hmm. uh, at one point. And um, uh, yeah, I, I think that's what triggered it. But um, growing up, uh, you know, like any kid, uh, <laughs> the worst was like Saturday mornings when my dad needed help. <laughs> doing something and I would want to be out with my, my friends running around and, uh, you know, I had to go, you know, help my dad build something or, or, um, you know, renovate, we were renovating the attic, uh, when we were younger, when I was younger mm-hmm. and, uh, it was for, for a bedroom and it was actually, you know, I, I didn't like it at the time, but it was kind of, um, you know, because of me, I had an older brother, and uh, we lived in, you know, nice old, really old house in, in Newark, which probably, you know, built sometime in the 1800s. And um, we went to renovate the attic to, for a bedroom. My older brother didn't want it. He wanted to stay downstairs <laughs> on the first floor with my parents and, and everybody else. And I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> so, um, you know, as like a 12, 13-year-old, uh, I had like visions of this uh, <laughs> like big bacheloresque pad i guess or like playroom i don't know which one it was at that at that point in my life um but uh yeah it meant that saturday mornings i'm helping dad upstairs and uh he did everything like it, amazing how we we took up the boards that were on the floor and it's like, like i said the house was built sometime in the 1800s and and there was an attic space that was unused there was no no walls it was just rafters wow. and these boards were like black these floorboards and uh, my dad ripped each one of them out by hand, and they were all tongue and groove, and took it over to my uncle's shop, uh, his, the home shop, not you know maybe about ten blocks away from where we were, and ran it through his planer. And then I'd see this wood come out. It was like gorgeous, gorgeous wood. Uh, and then we take it back home, and we put it. And my dad fit everything, all the tongue and groove, back in place, and and used all. He saved all the the original nails, so they were all like cut nails. Wow. And we replaced them. Uh, all the nails back in the hole and he's nailing and setting the nails with a nail punch and I'm, you know, going behind him with uh, a spatula and some wood putty. And mm-hmm. then uh, he rented a sander and floor sanded it and it just came out amazing. The floor is still beautiful after, you know, probably 160 years of use. It's like gorgeous. Um, at my mom's house, my mom still lives there. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, so, so when did you, um, 
start, have you always been woodworking or is it something that you took up uh, later? Well, I, I wouldn't say woodworking. I, I, I maybe call myself uh, like a, more of a handyman. Um, okay. So, DIY type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, DIY. yeah. I'd fix some things at home and I, you know, I yeah. put some things together. Uh, so I, I think I really got into the woodworking uh, about four years ago. Uh, my wife and I bought a house and, um, you know, I was all gung ho on doing a lot of stuff myself. So I, I did the demo completely myself inside and took down walls and, and everything. Um, then I had, you know, a friend that was an actual contractor come in and help with like painting and rebuilding walls and stuff. But while he was doing, you know, majority of that stuff, I was, I, I wanted to work like with the kitchen cabinets. I, I took down the old brown kitchen cabinets. Uh, I sanded them down by hand. Um, I watched a couple YouTube videos on how to refinish cabinets. And I guess that's, that kind of like started me on like furniture building. Mm-hmm. I put that back up. Um, the house we bought also has a, a hair salon. My, my wife's a cosmetologist has a hair salon that's kind of attached to the house. Um, she were looking for, she was looking for a reception desk and, and she showed me one online and it was like a ridiculous amount of money. And I was like, I, let me try and build this. I, so I, I built the reception and from there it just started. I started building uh, more and more. I built the shampoo cabinet counter, um, <laughs> built a couple things in there. And then, um, you know, thinking back of when I was a kid and running down into my dad's um, like bench room you know, in, the, in the basement of our house in Newark. We had a, a small little workshop. I wouldn't even call it a shop. It was just literally a bench up against the wall and you turn around and the wall is right there where he had like pegboard and hang hung up all his tools and and had nails and everything screws so it was cool we used to like you know tinker around down there i'd I'd go in there as a kid also and and mess around try to build little boats and and things with scrap wood that i would find or he would give me um so anyway my new house has a pretty nice size garage uh, and it had a bench in there already, like a, you know, kind of just a, a board, a pine board on top of some legs. And I was like, yeah, I want to build a bench. I want to build like a real bench uh, and start doing some a little bit more, you know, the furniture stuff or just get get a little bit more into it. Uh, I, had, I had power tools. I had a couple hand tools that I had inherited from my dad. Um, but, you know, to build this bench, I was like, all right, let me, you know, do what everybody does and go to YouTube and um, and. And, and maybe I'll look for some books. I, I love to read. I'm like a, a voracious reader. I read every morning um, for about an hour before I, I start the day. So <laughs> I, um, I I saw a couple of a video of this guy that built this beautiful bench, uh, Rubo style, Mark. And yeah. it might have been one of your designs. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I've been doing this that long, but so uh, yeah, might be something much older than Mark's design. Yeah, <laughs> dovetailed, uh, and it was like the first the first time I kind of took notice of dovetail of the word dovetail. I've I've seen dovetails. And I have some furniture at home that you know bought or handed down and have dovetail drawers, but never really put any thought into it. So I see this guy building this beautiful bench. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And the other thing he had uh, were Japanese saws, which I had no idea about as well. And I was just right there. It kind of like clicked. Um, it, I, I just felt like this alignment that, you know, the refinement of how you work on wood and with the tools you use is very similar to 
cooking and what I do as a, as a chef at these higher levels. Like all my knives are Japanese knives and I use water stones to sharpen them. And I've been doing this for the past 20 years almost. And, uh, it's, it's amazing. Like the, the similarities that I found. Mm -hmm. And then, and then that just like kind of took me back to my youth and working with my dad. And, uh, it just, that, that's where it clicked. And that's when I started getting into it. I started doing more and more research and I came across, you know, a couple names on, on, on YouTube, I, um, Rob Cosman, Paul Sellers, you know, all the, like the hand tool guys that, uh, I, I thought it was great. And so, you know, I was just, was consuming more and more content, uh, all the time, uh, and started doing a little more research on woodworking. And I found out that where I just bought my new house and, uh, there's, you know, close by is the central Jersey woodworkers association. So went on their website, signed up as a member, uh, got to go to one meeting before it got closed down for COVID one in person. Meeting. So now we've been yeah. doing meetings virtually and I, I, I attend those. Um, yeah, now is that the, is Wilbur Pan? That's Wilbur's. Yeah, I think yes. so. Yes. Wilbur Pan yep. is one of our, yeah, one of our members. All right. Fantastic. Yeah, so cool. Very, very talented. Yeah, I figured if you're in, not, if not you're just in a member, you got to know Wilbur. Yeah, right. He is woodworking royalty. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know. Can you reflect upon upon seeing him if you can? And yeah. a great a great resource on Japanese tools too. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, he was one of the uh, guest speakers at our last meeting. Uh, so I, I got to know Wilbur a little bit better. Um, for the for our just our monthly meeting so that was that was really great uh he's a great yeah great resource nice yeah. guy too yeah yeah oh, he's yeah. real nice guy yeah. super nice seems like he's super nice so i you know i'm i'm like reading uh i'm i'm joining this this club i went to a meeting uh i found out there's a wood show i'm like wow this is great i'm gonna go to the wood show uh so i, I bought tickets to the wood show and I, I go to the wood show and I, I, I meet the guys from the Central Jersey Woodworking Association. They were there. Uh, they had a table, um, but also like Lee Valley was there. So <laughs> I went a little crazy um, with uh, buying some hand planes. And as you do. As you do. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I, I went a lot more crazier than I thought I would. And um, more than I confessed to my wife as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you, always, you always do that. It, it, yeah. And you know, you really have a problem years down the road when you go there and go, nope, I got that. I already have that. I already have that. Uh -huh. <laughs> but, but I have, I have to ask you to, uh, back on sharpening. Um, so uh, do I assume you freehand sharpen or do you use? Yes. Picks? No, yes. freehand sharpen. Um, yeah. I'm sure that you were, you were like, this is a piece of cake with these big white. Yeah, I think bevels. if you start on chef's knives and go to <laughs> plain irons, you're you're probably going to be pretty true. That's very true. I had to, I had to get into woodworking to find water stones to sharpen my knives. So. Yeah, those are great. I love I love the water stones. I love that my you know my actual first knife that I, I owned as a chef uh, or as a, as a cook back then when I was was this beautiful Japanese knife and that the kitchen I was working in had this, you know, affinity for, you know, the finesse and, and the refinement and, and Japanese tools because it's so much different. It's so much easier to sharpen too than like a, what we call a Western style knife or a German knife. Uh, mm -hmm. 
mainly because of the steel, you know, because of carbon steel on the on the Japanese knives are are super easy, a lot softer and nicer to to sharpen. Get get them like razor a razor edge on those. It's it's a beautiful thing. And I guess if you're sharpening more often, it's not a big deal that the steel is soft, right? right? Because so, you, you're you got stones there all the time, or or steel, or. But also, you're not cutting things that are so rough on the blade. I would think. Yes. No. I mean, Bones. that's we take that into consideration. Even the cutting boards that we use um, mm-hmm. are are definitely um, you know a consideration when when you're using fine blades. Um, but yeah, sharpening every night in one restaurant I worked on, we sharpen every single night after service. Uh, you know, you, it's, it's easier to maintain the blade at that point. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's not too much of a hassle, but it, it built, uh, you know, a good, I want to say like, um, you know, work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. Plus you get that muscle memory down too. Yes. You know, it's funny. It's like once yeah. you know, people start learning you're a woodworker um you know, <laughs> everybody's asking you know, can you build me this can you build me that <laughs> um which I, I don't mind you know it's yeah friends and family it's cool and it's uh it gives me uh an excuse to to get into the shop and or you know into my garage and tell my wife oh, i'll be in the garage for for a little while so um you know i gotta build that for this person or i gotta build i'm building you this you know mm-hmm. um, well, great. Well, what's um, what's the thing that you've you you're most proud of that you've built so far? Um, so far, uh, I think the reception desk I built was was really cool. Um, I gotta I gotta put some I gotta put some uh, some some pics up on on Instagram. Um, the the other thing, some some just like shop stuff. I had you know a bunch of saws. I had some of my dad's old saws. I had a couple saws, so I built a saw till. Um, that was that was that was pretty fun. Uh, fun built. Um, I, I have one of those that never really got finished. It's sitting on the floor, unfortunately. <laughs> um, uh, the the handle to the drawer that I put underneath it is still a loop of tape. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can just uh, replace it with a loop of leather and you would be all the rage right now. Yeah, it'd have to be really thin, though, because I made the, <laughs> I made the, I mean, there's no guide rails. It's just a drawer sitting in the frame of it. So it, it's got a scant, probably hmm, 16 to an eighth of an inch, you know, in there. But yeah, it's whatever. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's like, you know, yeah, that was my, my journey into the woodworking has, has been so much fun. So, oh, this is another, uh, kind of cool story. Um, you know, I, I mentioned how I love to read books and I, I started reading a, a ton of books about, you know, a couple different woodworkers and, and, uh, those, those are more the kind of books I like to read about. It's like, I, I'm really tired. I had a few books that were, you know, um, sort of like woodworkers manuals and this is how you cut a dado this is how you cut a dovetail and mm-hmm. you know, sort of uh technique driven um you know i think how, how many technique books can you read how many different ways can you you know cut a dado or, or a dovetail um so i really find interesting in books that you know tell a, a story whether it's about you know the woodworker or their life's work or anything. So I was always searching for a book. So Matt, um, one of the other guys I watched early on, Matt Esley, had mentioned that the, you know the best book, and every woodworker needs to get this book is the Anarchist Tools Chest. 
<laughs> so I was I, while I was at the wood show. Uh, so I went on, you know, briefly. I went on Amazon and I looked for this book, and I was like, oh, it's like a, a hundred and something bucks for a book. I was like, oh man, that's kind of crazy. Well, I was at the wood show, and this one stand that had like a hodgepodge of different things had this book, this little black book, and I get a little closer, and it says Anarchist Tool Chest, and I was like, what? And it was like twenty bucks, and I'm like. I snatched it as quick as I could. It went up to the register and paid for it. <laughs> and then from there on in, that's when I, I discovered uh, Chris Schwartz and Lost Lost Art Press. And uh, and those books are amazing. Yes, yes. Mm, absolutely. A, a common suggestion from our, our guests, honestly, is that book. Uh, and an obvious, uh, very popular inspiration point for a lot of woodworkers. A lot of knowledge in, in what Chris produces, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and you, it's a woodworking book. You Well, most of the books that they produce are woodworking books you can read without falling asleep while you're reading them. They're, they're interesting to read on their own. Absolutely. A lot and of it, stories built in. It's funny. Like, I'll order books, and, and so I guess maybe – you know, a little bit because of COVID, try to minimize how many deliveries are coming to the house and also not to get my wife too pissed off. Um, <laughs> I, I'd order a bunch at a time. And uh, like you said, you know, some some books are, are better than others. But I have this thing, like if I start reading a book, I have to finish it. And uh, it's I found myself reading some books that I was like, oh, man, come on. I can't. Come on. It's like the pages couldn't turn quick enough because I really <laughs> wanted to get to the lost art press book that I, that just came in the mail and I had to go, I had to finish this book though first. <laughs> so, but it's fun. Um, then I took a class. I actually took a class last year um, with, <laughs> I, I called up, so I, I called up the president of, of our woodworking association and um, I asked him for some, some recommendations on, on classes. I wanted to, you know, spark, spark my, uh, my my learning and and my my technique a little bit so uh he told me uh, he's like yeah well, there's one school there's wood school it's like you know two towns away from here um, there's another school up in north jersey uh pretty good and then there's this this woodworker uh guy by the name of brian Holp, uh, holcomb and uh but he's like this like master artisan you know it's like it's, it's probably not for like beginner woodworkers you know it's like he does one-on-one instruction so as soon as I hung up with him, I reached out to Brian Holcomb and I asked if I can take a class. And, uh, and I, you know, I just wanted to like, just like in the restaurants, I want to go work at the best. I want to go work with the best in woodworking as well. And, um, I mean, if you see some, some of Brian's stuff on Instagram, he's, he's a, definitely an artisan, a master woodworker, uh, of design of everything. Uh, he's out of Princeton, New Jersey, and he's, he's actually, it's like where people would take their George Nakashima chair to get repaired. You go to uh-huh. Brian. You go to Brian Holcomb because this guy is just a perfectionist. So I took this class. I spent a bunch of Saturdays with him uh, last summer, and um, to build this like amazing, beautiful little bench um, with dovetails and um, um, just a, a ton of beautiful joinery that was cut by hand and it was just the precision and he was also definitely in, into Japanese tools and we found a lot in common. I got to talk to him a lot about, um, you know, Japanese tools I use in, in the kitchens and he would explain to me all the Japanese tools he had in his, in his wood shop. And, uh, it was just an incredible experience. Uh, 
I still and a, a great resource now because I, I reach out to him and he's sort of become my my sort of um, mentor in the, in in woodcraft. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Did, I was just looking at his site. Did you do the trestle bench or the uh, like the the cocktail table? So it's the the cocktail table looking one. Did one yeah. set that? Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to put a link to his site on here. I definitely want to find him on Instagram. Very very cool stuff. Yeah, his Instagram is incredible. He's done he's done some great chairs too, Kyle. You'd be great. You'd really yeah, I'm I'm yeah, I hadn't heard of him either, but I'm I'm going through his Instagram. <laughs> I'm, now, I'm, so, in his, yeah. I'm in his portfolio on his website, and you're on his Instagram. <laughs> yeah, no, the guy. I just followed him, so yeah, we're good. As an artist, <laughs> that's like top notch. It's like you know. So, um, yeah, that the other great thing I found out, uh, Kyle, I mentioned this to you when we first uh, spoke, was that, um, you know, we have a bunch of internal groups at Facebook. And um, just like Facebook has these groups, you know, externally and people can, mm-hmm. you know, dog lovers or you, know, you can find a group for just about anything. We had a woodworking group at Facebook and I was like, I couldn't believe it. And then I found out that we actually have a wood shop uh, on our campus in California. Mm hmm. I, Do they I need will. any workbenches? What's that? Do they need oh. any workbenches? Hell yeah, opportunity. <laughs> so, sounds like y'all need a, a, a space in New York for that too, yeah. Oh man, space Mark in New York says- is so limited, but um, yeah, that would be amazing if we had a, 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 wood, a wood shop in New York City. That would be great. In California, so is it, is it meant to just be like downtime stuff? Obviously, a tech company like Facebook isn't producing wood shop you know things yeah no it's uh it's sort of like uh an amenity that um yeah you know that you know when you you, you get a little tired of working uh, in computer world world you can go and you know mess around in, in the analog world uh, with your hands and and mm-hmm. build things. And is it a, is it not tech-based it's not a bunch of cncs and no, and, no. although they okay. do have cnc machines um they have a, a great group of of woodworkers um I got to to talk to one last week, uh, Zeke Mead. He's one of the guys that runs runs the uh, MPK workshop. MPK is Menlo Park. Uh, that's where our headquarters are in California, and um, it's great. He's like he's uh, a, he works for for actually for Woodcraft out in California, but wow. it's like uh, stationed at the Facebook campus. <laughs> so oh my god! Yeah, so like him and his whole crew of these like great woodworkers you know older dudes that are um just been in in the business for many many years all work out of woodcraft and um and give their time some of them are part-time some of them are full-time over at facebook and uh they do a great job giving classes um the we the monthly meetings and they have a great chat group and it's there's it's like 1300 people are, are part of the wood group uh which is crazy so mm. Wow, that's that's kind of interesting. I'd wild. like to see that shop. Yeah, you're gonna have to visit yeah. that and post day, some pictures. <laughs> day, day four of the wood show. Well, uh, <laughs> exactly. Do they have a wood show near the campus in California. <laughs> we'll make one. It's a <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah right. we need a tour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, we're back up to 100 percent. If you guys ever want a, a tour of a, uh, and you're in New York City. Um, you're definitely welcome to be my guest uh, at Facebook and, and Instagram. Of uh, course, I, I'm, 
I am plotting a workbench tour. Like one year it's going to be the East Coast, and then the second year it's going to be the West Coast, and I'm just going to drive the whole summer wow. and just go go visit my workbenches. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> and, and camp. Cool. And uh, to drag my kid along to historic places at the same time. So yeah, once everything's semi-normal again. It's great. Well, yeah, we'll definitely hit you up on that. So, yeah, that that's uh, that's fascinating. Well, wow. well, so now you're interested in chair making. So I guess uh, I guess the Swartz uh, bug got to you, huh? <laughs> so yeah, that's another funny story. I um, I I didn't I, I didn't really think about chair making. I wasn't even you know thinking about or interested in in, in chair making when I, I was first thinking about um, you know going deeper into the woodworking. Uh, hobby. Uh, but it was, uh, I have to like blame it back to, to reading all these books. And I was, I, I read a bunch of books and like I said, I, I didn't want another technique book. I want, you know, I'd like a story about people and, and their lives and, and how their lives are either influenced or you're involved in, in woodworking. And so I was reluctant, but I was kind of running out of uh, books to, to read. So I ordered, um, good work. <laughs> that'll tell you a story that's for sure and and it was like it was incredible it, it yeah. kind of just like it's it immediately i was immediately captivated um by the book uh the chair the story john, john brown uh it just was all of a sudden it, it took something clicked and it was you know maybe the fact that i was like wow i mean i have all these t- i have a bandsaw that's all he has a power tool is a bandsaw. So I, I could kind of nix that idea of having to get a table saw now into my garage somehow. And uh, I could do this. And this is a fascinating. And the chair itself was beautiful. And, you know, reading about his life, uh, yeah. I, I just found it fascinating. I thought he was a great guy. And, and Chris Williams did an amazing job t- telling his story. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For our listeners, uh, good work. That's uh, Chris Williams' book about his life and his and John Brown and John Brown's a Welsh stick chair. And it's a fantastic book. And, uh, yeah. Any, any new listeners, I recommend you go back and listen to our, uh, interview with Chris Williams. It's great. And, um, yeah, yeah. And he's such a great guy too. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's absolutely, uh, fascinating. So yeah, I was about to say, yeah, if you read a good work, uh, that was, that was an interesting book. Uh, Chris, basically put his heart and soul and then some into that book. And it took, uh, to, it took a couple of years for him to, uh, to get all that stuff and, uh, them to get everything down for the book. And it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it was excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's where I started my fascination with, with chair making mm-hmm. and, um, wanted to build a, a you know, a, a Welsh stick chair. Um, so, you know, after reading Chris Williams book, of course I had to get John Brown's book, the original. Mm-hmm. And so I got that. And that was probably that was basically it for Welsh stick chairs on what's out there. Um, so wanting to, you know, read more and, and learn more about um, chairs and, and this particular chair. And I couldn't find anything. I, I was like, well, you know, let me let me look into the Windsor chair. And, you know, it's like they're cousins. Right. So um I started doing research into the Windsor chair and that's why I found like Curtis Buchanan and Peter Galbert and, and all these amazing uh, Windsor chair makers, you know, both here and abroad. And, mm-hmm. and that's, it. that's it. I just, I guess I was bitten by the bug and went down the rabbit hole 
And now I'm, uh, I'm, I'm registered to take a, a Windsor cheer class with uh, David Duyard uh, in July. Oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. David's great. Yeah. I, I loved your show. Uh, you had him on as a guest a few weeks ago. So. Yeah. 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 He's he's a he's a great guy. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's been on a couple of times and I'm sure we'll have him on a couple of times more. So and he's testing out my new jig for me, too. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. It seems like a lot of the guys I find like this is great, you know, and they're, and they're, you know, at this point, they're kind of really super famous, but everybody's really kind of like down to earth and, uh, and very friendly. You know, I actually wrote Curtis Buchanan and he wrote me back and I was, yeah. you know, then uh, I made a comment on, you know, on, on one of his videos and he wrote me back. Uh, I re- asked a question of Elliot, uh, Bizarre and he, he answered me and wrote me back and wished me life, like in handwriting too. Like Curtis just hand wrote me a note, and I was like, "Wow, that's awesome." Yeah, um, they're all just woodworkers, man. Like they're yeah. yeah. I I think uh, what I've noticed, you know, between the people that I look up to and the people that I work for uh in this business they're all just great people i mean it's every once in a while you run into your average typical jerk but uh, for the most part (laughs) they're just really great people they're they're fun to have as customers and the and the people that i follow and the people that i study and the people that i admire when i get a chance to meet them they're great people too so um, yeah it's not a bad hobby to get into if you're looking for good people yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so true and i got a great uh pete galbert story as well so I'm, you know, learning more about uh, green woodworking and, and Windsor chair making. And uh, I got I got a, a, a shave horse. Um, I was going to build my, you know, my steam box, which now is built and my riving brake and all that. And I was, I was I had a question about the draw knives and I picked up a draw knife on eBay. And um, and then I bought another one from like this antique uh, tool dealer tool dealer out here. <laughs> in uh in jersey and uh they were you know good they those you know it's pretty simple um tool uh but in kind of rough shape so i had got to talking to pete calvert i reached out to him and i was like i don't know this guy just wrote this book uh, ended up getting his book and it's like the book it's like the bible for the windsor chair now yes um uh, it's great but I, I wrote him he wrote me back and we started talking about draw knives, and I told him I had these two old draw knives. He's like, "Hey, would you mind sending me your draw knives? I'm gonna, I'm about to do my video on <laughs> draw knives, and I, I can use yours as an example and sharpen them up for you, and I'll send them back to you." And I was like, "What? It's <laughs> like this is crazy." Uh, so I, I did that. I sent him my, my two knives. Um, he used it as part of his uh, Vimeo series. Uh-huh. Uh, so now, you know, my two draw knives are sharpened by Pete Galbert and uh, and immortalized in uh, in his Vimeo videos making uh, Windsor chairs. Nice. Well, now oh. you can never use them, though, because no. you know, <laughs> one, one chair and you're going to have to sharpen them, man. <laughs> I'm going I'm to just one side <laughs> and I'll use one. You know? <laughs> no, yeah, sh- shadow box. That's all I got to say. Just put yeah. them in a box, yeah. frame it on the wall. 
And anybody the, who asks you know, questions say, you don't know who this was? I mean, <laughs> my God, Peter Galbert used this tool. <laughs> you call yourself a woodworker? <laughs> oh, man, that that's fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Enjoy. This has just been such a well, great trip into the into this world. Um, I'm going to have to go back and watch that again just to see that. Okay, I know uh-huh. the guy that knows the guy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. So. Well, well, um, so, um, you know, they do have knife edge draw knives. They're kind of rare out there, but you can find them. They have yes. a bevel on both sides. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you would be great at sharpening those. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. It'd be like, uh, like <laughs> sharpening a long, uh, chef slicer. I don't yes. know how much fun they'd be to use, but yeah. <laughs> I can only say that coming from a, a culinary field, you probably could school us all on sharpening. Probably, yes. Most likely. I don't, I don't know. It's uh, I, I mean, I, like I said, I've been doing it for like 20 years, so it's uh, you know, on on knives, and and some of these knives, like just like tools, are also like you know, they get super duper expensive. Oh yeah, oh, for sure. Higher. I've seen that. I got I got another great story for you guys. The um, I was working in the first W Hotel. It was all. You know, Myself and, you know, my the rest of the team were a bunch of young cooks. And uh, the chef comes in and he tells us that um, we need to make some space in the back of the kitchen uh, because Iron Chef Morimoto is coming here and he's doing some some dishes for an event that he's going to oh. He's going to be serving, so I was like, the secret ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> We're all like, oh, wow, man, Iron Chef. So he comes in, he walks in, and he's like, you know, he's setting up in the back of the kitchen. He comes in, he's a, he's a nice guy. He was, his English was very, very poor back then, um, uh, but super nice. Would wave and everything, come walking through mm. the kitchen. And uh, of course, you know, we're all into like Japanese knives, so. We want to see what the what the Iron Chef is using, but we go to the back and we're looking, and he takes out this like small box, opens the box, and out pulls out this thing about the size of a very small samurai sword, and it's wrapped in like purple velvet, and we're like looking with awe, our eyes are big, <laughs> our mouths are wide open, and we're we're walking slowly like towards the 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 table, and he he puts up his hand, he's like boom boom boom, he's like stand back. It was, your breath will stain the blade. Oh my gosh! <laughs> like, this is crazy. This is like the, this metal, and like he gets his his knives are, are handmade by like some you know samurai sword maker in the yeah. in, in the hills of Japan. And he actually told us that this this knife cost thirty thousand dollars. Oh my god! See your whole setup there. I thought you were going to tell me that he said, "Yeah, I got this out of Kohl's." it's it's a woodstuff blade yeah right (laughs) and he only uses it for one thing the blade only to cut tuna (laughs) that's it wow that crazy but that's 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 the you know the at that that point of thinking uh, about when he opened up his restaurant in philadelphia he wasn't happy with any of the commercial refrigeration um to hold the the fish that he's preparing for the sushi and sashimi dishes. So they actually sourced out um, from the hospitals the refrigeration that they use to hold cadaver parts. And he said that that's like the, the optimal temperature for the raw fish. So that's what wow. he had in his, in his restaurant in Philadelphia. And crazy, right? That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. It's a good story. Though. 
That mm-hmm. is good. <laughs> well, well, I think we could probably sit here and talk to you for hours, but um, we'll have to save that for the next uh, Woodworking in America. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but let's move on to our fortnightly beer choices. So, um, well, I think I told everyone I'm, I'm just drinking uh, fresh Texas spring water. I don't know if you could actually put the word fresh in front of spring water, but I did. But um, anyway, due to my uh, impending shot tomorrow, I figure it is best to, uh, uh, you know, be careful with these things. Because I think the second shot tends to be the one that most people have some uh, reactions to. So yeah. we'll so see I how it goes. definitely want to get hydrated for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say the one thing exactly. after my, my one shot, the one thing I did seem was high, dehydrated, which is very yeah. strange. Um, I don't know why that would be, but yeah. Yes. I mean, hydration only helps lubricate the body. Stay hydrated. Exactly. So, Mark, what are you drinking? I am drinking a hazy little thing. Nothing wrong with that, uh, man. Sierra Nevada IPA. Sean? Yeah. So, I I uh, picked up an Urban Artifact, which is a, a known I, I don't know if it's everywhere, but it's pretty wide. they got a lot of varieties around me, and they're, they're sours and gozas and, and things like that. So, I got their Key Punch, which is a key lime goza, which hmm. is... It, it's getting warm outside. It's nice to have a nice, cool, refreshing yeah. drink. Yeah, I can get Urban Artifact here. I've seen it in stores. Yeah, and they've got a lot. This one, yeah. I don't know. I might have had that before. I, I don't honestly remember. Um, I saw one with strawberries. There's a bunch of, I mean, it's, yeah, go ahead. You know, yell at yeah, me. I already beer, tried the strawberry <laughs> beer. Is it a yeah. sour? Is that- it, it is. Goza is brewed with, with salt water, so okay. it's yeah. technically sour. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, if you're into that kind of thing, if not, I mean, my backup, I got Miller Lite. So, of course. <laughs> Anthony, how about you, man? Um, well, being a good Jersey boy, I had to uh, pay homage to the boss, Bruce Springsteen, and oh, yeah. I'm drinking uh, something from a local brewery that uh, called the Big Man's Brew, uh, which is a tribute to Clarence Clement from the E Street Band, oh, and uh, it's a uh, Big Man's Brew Hazy Groove IPA. That and, sounds uh, good. Super tasty, yeah. Um, really nice. I, I think though two is definitely my limit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be telling uh, I'll, I'll be telling Kyle, don't hang up yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's for a, it's for the big man, so it's gonna be it's a little big man, yeah. out, you know. Big yeah. punch, right? Yeah. Ooh. Wow. So anyway, well, with that, uh, Anthony, where can uh, folks find you on the uh, interwebs? Um, on Instagram, um, Chef Marias, um, or Mores, uh, and I'm also on Facebook at, um, Anthony Marais. All right. Fantastic. And, uh, Mark, what about yourself? Well, uh, I'm on the blog at plate11.com. I'm also at Mark Builds It on Instagram and plate11woodworking on YouTube. How about you, Kyle? I'm at... Sorry not to walk to walk on you, but yeah, make sure you follow Plate Eleven on on YouTube, putting good content out there. Exactly. Good. I'm glad you guys great, are enjoying it. Great content, I really enjoy it. Yep. Well, uh, you can find uh, me, of course, at Barton.Kyle on Instagram, and also uh, Kyle Barton on YouTube, where I may post a video once every few months. <laughs> no, and you do good stuff too. I think you guys are great. I'm I'm not a content provider. You guys. No, are my. Good. 
primarily mine revolve around the jig so you know when i got uh when i got new jigs or i got updates on some stuff i i, I tend to post but it's yeah. a great user's guide i think it's yeah. a you know that's a great platform for instruction manuals exactly that's how i started out so yep. yeah. yeah and and, and seriously i mean a user guide perfect perfect opportunity i mean those videos can be 15 seconds they can be three minutes it doesn't matter if you're demonstrating something of a thing that you're involved with or thing that you know about i mean it's super beneficial i just recently i got a new parachute for my rockets i won't go into it but it's a different style and so <laughs> lo and behold the the guy that makes it which is like this retired military you know rig man and and parachute guy he has a seriously a 16 second video on how to fold this thing because of its form mm -hmm. and yeah that's perfect just for that i mean just keep on keeping on man like that's i appreciate don't, that don't, don't be worried about it you're you're doing good stuff i i learn a little bit or help it helps demonstrate what you're doing by showing your stuff you don't you i it's normal to be you know, not comfortable, I think, with that, you know, hearing your own voice or, or, you know, being recorded, you know, in whatever way, you know, on face or not, whatever. But, you know, you, trust me, you, you, and I hope the comments are, are echoing this. So you're providing a service for sure. Yeah, yeah. I haven't got any trolls yet, so That's I haven't good. quite made it. You know? <laughs> yeah, not until, not until somebody it really, sent, sent you It really doesn't call. take long to pick up a troll. They, yeah. they come quick, man. Well, good. good. I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to that. But uh, no, no, it has been good. And yeah, yeah. And ever since I've figured out how to edit stuff, it, that makes it a lot easier. There you uh, go. Yeah, the yeah. shorter you can make your videos, the better. As long as you know, cut out everything you don't need. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So, but Sean, so where can folks find you? So uh, pretty much everywhere. I'm Sean W78 at Sean W78 or on Facebook, my natural name, Sean Wisniewski. Look for me there. And that just about wraps it up for this show. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on the podcatcher of your choice. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. And while you're there, please leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram at MWA underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support the podcast, go over to patreon.com slash MWA podcast. But the best thing you can do is tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussion.